Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. These words from the book of Hebrews remind us to remember our brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world today. Dr. Jason Peters of Voice of the Martyrs is our guest this week, talking about the best ways that we can love and serve the persecuted church. It's all on episode 54 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 54 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week our guest is Dr. Jason Peters. He is the Associate Vice President of Connection for the Voice of the Martyrs and uh, is a global voice for the persecuted church. Uh, he travels frequently around the world and meets face-to-face with persecuted believers and equips Voice of the Martyrs to tell their stories. He was the executive director of a powerful book that recently came out called IMN, Inspiring Stories of Christians Facing Islamic Extremism. We talked to Dr. Peters about some of the things that he has learned and the things that he's learned particularly about how we as Western Christians can love our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And now, here's my conversation with Jason Peters. Well, Jason Peters, welcome to the the Church Leaders Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It's great to be with you. Now, you are working with the Voice of the Martyrs, and it's a ministry that that many of us are familiar with. Tell us about how you began to work with Voice of the Martyrs and and kind of the the work that you guys are doing. Well, we are working in 68 countries around the world. And so uh, the way it worked for me personally was I was teaching about trauma to Air Force chaplains, and one of my students came to me and he said, hey, do you know about the Voice of the Martyrs? I said, yeah, I, I get their magazine. I've, you know, I've been following for a while. He said, well, they're looking for a regional director in South Asia. And I just, you know, the Lord just laid it on my heart that you might be a good fit for that. So would you be interested in, you know, me giving them your name? And that's how it happened, man. So I left the Air Force and uh, that was uh, over five years ago now, came to the Voice of the Martyrs to work in the international ministry. And then God led me into several other roles uh, with them, and just recently able to work on this IMN uh, book and curriculum. Mm. And tell me, like, for those who may not be familiar with the Voice of the Martyrs, what is what is kind of the mission that you guys are, are trying to do? Yeah, we provide practical and spiritual support to persecuted Christians, you know, anywhere we can find them, which, like I said, recently has been in 68 countries around the world. But, but we do uh, part, there's really two parts to the mission. One is actually going to the field to serve them, like providing very practical help. I mean, we, we have rebuilt homes that were burned down because of persecution. We have a prosthetics clinic in Africa that restores limbs, really, to people who have had their arms or legs hacked off by terrorist groups. Uh, we also provide, right now, uh, I was just in northern Iraq a couple weeks ago, where we were providing literally flour to help a bakery that's serving refugees. I mean, that's the, the kind of stuff we do. We did uh, $37 million overseas last year of that kind of work. But then what we do in the U.S. is we're the voice of the martyrs, which, by the way, martyr literally means witness. So we're, we're their voice, those who are serving as witnesses. Some of them are killed. Some of them are attacked. Others are displaced. But the point is, uh, they are witnesses living out their faith and Christian identity. We come back to the states and we say, hey, how can we be inspired by these stories? So we tell their stories. Wow. And tell us, I know that you guys have a, a new resource out uh, called IMN. Tell us the story of this book. Yeah, when Islamic 
state militants moved into northern Iraq, and they started to identify Christian-owned homes and businesses with this noon, the Arabic letter noon. It, we say in, but, but it was uh, kind of looks like a U with a little dot on top of it. But they painted this on buildings and homes, and that letter is the first letter of the word used in the Quran to identify Christians. So they tagged our brothers and sisters in this way, and then they gave them the choice. They could either convert to Islam or they could stand for Christ and lose everything they owned or maybe even their life. And so it's a really intense kind of choice, a crossroad that they were at. Should I stand for Christ uh, now that I've been identified as a Christian, or should I say the Shahada and convert to Islam and I'll be fine? Uh, and many of them chose to follow Christ. In fact, in just over a week, 100,000 Christians were displaced from the Nineveh Plain. And this is the city of the modern-day city of Mosul, Iraq, but it used to be Nineveh. I mean, this was Nineveh in the time of the Bible times, and they were forced to leave, 100,000 of them fled in just 10 days. It was a, it's an amazing story. And so uh, we gathered a lot of those stories, uh, 48 stories of Christians facing Islamic extremists, and we told their stories. And they're in six different themes in the book, which I'd love to share more about, because these themes are themes that we can identify with and learn from. Yeah, and I think that a lot of times, um, you know, you think about Christians in our country, a lot of times we were pretty insulated from these types of stories. As you guys are sharing these stories, do you get pushback where people are like, man, I just don't want to hear, like this, these stories just make me sad or it's hard to hear? We do. In fact, some, even the photos that we include in our magazine sometimes kind of offend people. You know, we'll get feedback like, hey, I want my kids to know these stories, but that photo you included was so graphic and they don't need to see that. And, and I guess the way I think about it is, is these are our family members. I mean, if like your sister got attacked or something and you were telling me the story, I wouldn't say like, hey, don't tell me the graphic details. You know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. you wouldn't do it in a disrespectful way, but you would want to convey like what happened to her. You know, and so I, I, I wouldn't, I would listen and care because I care about you and this is your sister who got attacked. So I think what we try to do is really bring it home. It, it's our family. You know, I love what Ray Vanderlaan says. He says, if you're putting a picture up on the wall with a hammer and a nail and, and you hit your finger with the hammer, you know, it would be crazy for you to say like, I'm not suffering just my finger suffering. You know, it's like we don't, we don't detach ourselves like that. It's like it's our body. And in the same way, Hebrews 13, 3 says, remember those who are suffering as if you were suffering with them. You know, remember those in prison as if you yourselves were imprisoned. It's like that's how we look at it. This is our family. We need to know their stories. We're not going to kind of sugarcoat what's happening. It's reality for them, and it's really tough. But we can be encouraged by their example of faithfulness in the midst of this persecution. Mm -hmm. And do you find that a lot of people, I mean, it seems like, um, you know, people would almost feel a sense of fear, um, you know, because I think on a lot of us, we haven't had to suffer very much. And so when we hear these things, all of a sudden this fear hits of like, oh man, what if I ever had to go through that types of suffering? Do you feel like that's what's one of the, you know, responses that you get a lot? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'd be, I'll be honest with you, Andrew, I have wondered myself, how would I handle persecution like this? I mean, when I'm meeting face-to-face -face with these brothers and sisters, I've worked in over 40 countries, meeting with Christians, hearing their stories. I, man, it's convicting sometimes because I, I wonder, would I be able to stand up 
under this kind of persecution? And I'll be honest with you, the only answer is yes, because it wouldn't be me, it would be Christ in me. You know, he would give me the grace. And that's what Jesus promised. When he was here, you know, you look at Luke 21, he says, hey, um, when I'm gone, you're going to be brought before synagogues, you're going to be brought before rulers. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say. If you're walking by the Spirit, I'm going to give you the words, I'm going to give you the wisdom that none of your enemies can resist or contradict. And I've seen this happen, man. I've heard stories of people who said, I have no idea how I endured that, or I have no idea how I stood strong for Christ under this opposition, but they did. And all I can say is it's intervention, it's miraculous grace of God. That's the only way you can really make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, persecution is getting worse. Uh, do you believe that the persecution around the world is getting worse? Yes, absolutely. And, and the reason is because of the rise of Islamic extremism. I mean, it's crazy, man. We, we actually... We study this, obviously, because this is what we do. And there are nine hot spots right now around the world of Islamic extremism. I mean, if you start in Africa with Kenya and Somalia, you've got the terrorist group Al-Shabaab. You, know, you move a little bit over Africa to Nigeria and Chad and Cameroon, and you've got the group Boko Haram. You remember the Chibok girls, you know, 230 girls kidnapped. Uh, you know, we just had the two-year anniversary. Uh, anyway, that's going on in Nigeria. You go up north, you've got the Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb and Morocco and Algeria and Libya. You know, you go further north and you're in the Arabian Peninsula with AQAP in Saudi Arabia and Yemen. I mean, the list just goes on and on. ISIS, the Taliban, you even got Muslim extremists in the Philippines. People are surprised by this, but in the southern Philippines, in Mindanao, there are terrorist groups, Abu Sayyaf and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, that are actually attacking Christians today. I mean, this is, it's just, it's rising around the world. Mm-hmm. And when we hear about these things, the first response is, what can we do? I think a lot of times we feel helpless. And I know that you guys are, that as part of your mission is to um, help Christians know how they can support and help their, their brothers and sisters around the world who are going through these things. So what are some of the best ways that, especially like the pastors and ministry leaders that are in our audience, how can they lead churches that are helping um, their brothers and sisters around the world? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, Andrew, because the, the best way to help is to understand what's going on first. I mean, you've got to be educated about what's happening. And so what I did when I was a pastor, one of the things I did was I would actually, I got the magazine. We have a free monthly magazine. It's a free subscription to anybody who wants it, persecution.com. You sign up uh, every month, you know, like a 12 to 14 color magazine shows up with stories and photos. What I would do as a pastor is I, I actually used to show that to my congregation. I used to say, hey, by the way, did you know about this? In fact, as a Sunday school small group leader, you could literally take this as a prayer guide and say, hey, this week we want to pray for Asiya Bibi. She's stuck in a Pakistani prison. She's been there for five years away from her family, her two daughters. Uh, let's talk about her for just a second and let's pray for her. And what I love about it is I remember seeing the, uh, you know, I'm remembering one group in particular, seeing people's eyes light up because they're like, wow, here I am. In that case, it was in Columbia, South Carolina. Here I am in South Carolina. I didn't really know I had a sister in Pakistan. I mean, I knew it like theoretically, but I didn't know her name. I hadn't seen her picture. You know what I'm saying? So it really brings it home. I think that's one of the first steps is just to get to know them so that you can pray. How can you pray effectively if you don't know your family members? So that's one thing. But then we do provide practical ways where people can actually support them. Like one of the things we're doing right now is family med packs. 
these are health and hygiene packs people can support, kind of like the, uh, the shoebox idea. You know, you take one of these bags, you put health and hygiene items, it's very clear instructions included with it, and then you send it to us. We send it overseas, and we actually distribute these to our brothers and sisters in need, many of them living in a refugee status in tents and other makeshift housing. It's, it's incredible, the blessing. I, I got to distribute some of these recently in Iraq, and it was, it was just amazing for them to know, hey, you know what, there's a name scribbled on this bag from a brother or sister who's been praying for you, thinking about you, and just wants to bless you in a small way. But it means a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, the enemy wants to isolate, wants to make us think that we're in this alone. And even just that gift that communicates, you know, we've, we've got your back, we're with you through this, same way that Christ is with you through this. Uh, that's really powerful. And it, it gives people something tangible that they can do as well instead Absolutely. of— Because I think sometimes people feel like, oh, yeah, just keep praying— and while that is powerful, and that's that's a message we should never grow weary of, I like I really like that. Let's talk about um, the IMN book, and I know there's also a devotional as well. Mm-hmm. So, kind of tell me how this idea came together. Like, how, how did you kind of uh, compile? I think it's 48 stories. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to. What what we do is we really, as as our name implies, we're really a voice for the persecuted church for people who don't have a voice. So what we do is we travel around, we, we serve them practically. We have field workers, as I said, working in, in 68 countries around the world. Part of my job is to actually meet with these brothers and sisters and then to tell their story. So that's what I am in is the book is a collection of stories of Christians facing Islamic extremists. It's more than a book. It is a devotional. Another thing, uh, Andrew, that I'm not even sure uh, you've had a chance to review yet, but there's actually a small group curriculum that comes along with this as well, where we went to Iraq and we've got 15 minute segments where we literally interviewed these brothers and sisters. We have six sessions, six weeks of a small group study where we interview them and you hear from them face to face about, you know, how God's helping them to endure through this. And I mean, it's incredibly powerful. And then your group, uh, David C. Cook put this curriculum together with the leader's guide and, and participants guides and stuff. And you, your group literally walks through that and says, Hey, you know, remember when Bono Shaba's husband was kidnapped, but she said, God gave her the strength to persevere. What does that look like for us here in the United States? So it's a beautiful way to kind of bring it home. And again, as a pastor, I could easily see myself showing, you know, a one-minute segment of this uh, Sunday morning and say, hey, you want to come and check out this small group because you want to hear from these brothers and sisters and get to know them. But back to the point of the book, let me tell you about the themes because there are six themes, and these themes are are huge. Uh, It begins with courage. You know, these people say we're not going to become paralyzed by fear because God has helped us embrace risk. And so we tell stories about courage. We talk about perseverance. We talk about forgiveness, faithfulness. We talk about one of the, the most surprising things. We talk about sacrifice, but one of the most surprising ones is joy. These brothers and sisters are literally filled with joy. How can you be joyful when you're facing you know, your sister being raped or your husband being killed? I mean, it's, it's just mind-blowing. But again, the hero of the story is Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's enabling them to stand strong in the midst of incredible attacks. So as you think about these themes, is there a story that has kind of impacted you personally? Yeah, there, there is. Uh, I mean, there are several. But let me tell you, one of my favorites is the story of Habila. This is a brother I got to meet in Nigeria. And Habila is, uh, I'll just tell you in a nutshell what happened to him, and then I'll tell you about how it impacted me personally. But, but what happened with him was he was at home. Uh, the terrorist group Boko Haram 
came to his village. That night, there were 20 Christians killed in his village. And they, they came into his home. They dragged him and his wife, Vivian, and their son outside. And they literally uh, stuck a, a gun in his face and said, are you a Christian or a Muslim? And it was interesting because when they grabbed him, they said, we are here to do the work of Allah. And his prayer was, Lord, may your will be done. I mean, he literally walked out there saying, Lord, may your will be done. And, and as he stood there, he said, I am a Christian and I will remain a Christian until my death. And so they started to try to convince him. They're like, man, if you convert to Islam, we will protect you. We, we want you to be a part of our team. You know, we want you to, to come to our side. And, and he wouldn't. And so then they looked at his wife, Vivian, and they said, will you please convince your husband to convert, to say the Shahada, to become an Is a Muslim? And she wouldn't. She began to cry, but she, but she didn't try to convince him. So then this was just so evil. They, they looked at her and they said, since you failed to convince him to become a Muslim, now you will watch him die. And they literally shot him in the face mm. with an AK-47. So he falls to the ground. They think he's dead because he's bleeding profusely from the head. And then um, they kick him and then they shout Allahu Akbar and they, and they walk away thinking he's dead. Well, miraculously, uh, God saves his life. She's able to put compression on his wounds right away and, and he survives. Uh, but this is the amazing part. And this is how it affected me personally. So I'm sitting there talking to this guy. He can hardly even talk. I mean, he's missing a giant chunk of his face. Uh, and he has a hard time talking. But he says this. He says, if I saw the man who shot me today, I would embrace him and I would let him know that I forgive him. He said, because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He's like, I don't think this guy knows what he's doing. He's been influenced by evil. I just want to forgive him and show him the love of Christ. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking of all the times, like, I've not forgiven people who, like, stabbed me in the back somehow or something. You know what I mean? I mean, we're so, we're so unwilling to forgive on minor issues. And again, I just point to the grace of God. I mean, that's remarkable. So when you read that story, you can't help but ask yourself, okay, who in my life am I having a hard time forgiving? You know, and, and God, will you help me forgive them as you've told us to? Um, so it's just, it's really encouraging to read these stories and just to see these examples. And you can see that how in that, through that suffering, the gospel is put on display and the, and the love of God is put on display where you can see a changed life and a changed heart. And, and do you feel like these stories really help people um, have a more biblical understanding of how God can use suffering in our lives. Absolutely, Andrew. I mean, that, that's so profound because you're right. God is glorified when Christians do things that just don't make any human sense. You know, they just, they don't add up. Um, and so when you look at someone who's hurt you like this and you're able to forgive them, God does some amazing things. And I've seen, by the way, and heard stories just recently especially in the Middle East, of Muslims who are coming to Christ because they're seeing this. They're seeing this fruit lived out, and they're, they're thinking about their own faith, and then they're seeing this remarkable faith of Christians, and they're saying, there's something different here. I actually remember one guy recently used the phrase, literally, I want to follow the God who's alive, <laughs> you know, because like, yes, we have prophets, and yes, we have, you know, we honor Muhammad, but, but your God is like alive, like you're walking with him, and you're serving alongside him, and, and being led by the Spirit, and he just wanted to follow that God, which I, I just think is really exciting. Is there another story? Like, I'm, I love these stories. I could listen to them all day. Is there another one that kind of jumps out that you're like, man, I, I want to tell your audience this story too? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are so many. But let me tell you about Abu Fadi. That's a neat story. That's a guy who is in Mosul, and he literally got a call from his buddy. And I, I mean, if we could just picture ourselves in this situation, I think it just really brings 
the challenges to light. He gets a call from his buddy. It'd be like me calling you and saying, hey, Andrew, I heard ISIS is coming to Colorado Springs. They're going to get there soon. Like, I think you should get out. That's what happened to him. And he had to think about it. He was like, okay, first of all, are they really going to make it here? Nobody really knows for sure if they're going to make it or not. If they do, do I want to leave? And it's a lot to consider because you know if you're leaving, you're just going to be taking the clothes on your back and whatever you can fit in your car or whatever and your family. So he had to decide what to do. Well, he decided he waited too long, unfortunately. And many people did because they just weren't sure what the threat was. And so uh, when ISIS rolled into town, they literally began to – tear down crosses and put loudspeakers on churches. And of course, there are already loudspeakers on mosques. And they started to announce to the Christians, you've got four options. You can either convert to Islam, which is the preferred option for us, or you can pay a jizya tax, which is like selling yourself into slavery. And you'll literally be a second-class citizen for the rest of your life and under our subjugation. Or you can leave, or we will kill you. And I remember meeting with a fourth-year university student at the University of Mosul, and when he told me that, he was so matter-of-fact. He's like, or they will kill us. And, they, and he just said it like it's just what they would do, and they did. You know what I mean? So you think about it. Uh, we just can't even imagine these kind of terms. But anyway, so Abu Fadi, he eventually, he waits too long. It's difficult to get his family out. Finally, though, it was a really cool intervention kind of story, a miraculous intervention, because he finally does decide to leave with his family. As he's going out, the, out of the town, he gets stopped at an ISIS checkpoint. And ISIS, uh, at these checkpoints, they were just taking all the loot from the people. I mean, they were taking vehicles. They were taking, sadly, I don't even want to tell you some of the horrible stories about people. They were literally taking, like, children, young girls. It was, it was just horrible. But in this one case with Abu Fadi, they get pulled aside they say, are you, are you a Christian? Yeah, they say, we're Christians. Well, uh, the guards are kind of conferring about what to do about him and his family. Somehow they get distracted. One of the guards looks at Abu Fadi and he says, hey, well, those guards are gone. Just take off. I'll cover for you. Just make a run for it. And so they did. They literally just took off. And God miraculously delivered them from this one guard. I don't know if he was a Christian. I don't know if he just had a soft spot in his heart for that family. We've heard, I, I've heard of one recent uh, extremist who literally said these words, I'm sick of the killing. I mean, he literally told a Christian, like, I'm sick of the killing, which makes sense. We all have general revelation. We all have a conscience. You know what I mean? So if for some reason, this guard decided to let them go, and Abu Fadi escaped with his family. So just another great example of just being faithful and trusting God to make a way. Wow. One of the lines from the book that really struck me is uh, it was somebody who was going through um, some suffering and said, you know, we don't have a theology of prosperity, but, mm-hmm. but we know Jesus. Can you, yeah. you kind of talk about that powerful line? Yeah, it's really profound, Andrew, because, you know, um, I, I would say this, that the prosperity gospel, some, what I would say and, and argue is false teaching about how Christians are supposed to always be happy, healthy, wealthy, blessed in earthly terms, uh, it just doesn't work in these contexts of persecution, because it's not because of someone's lack of faith that they're suffering it's actually because of their faith that they're suffering. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, if you just like hid in your tent and didn't tell anybody about your faith, you'd be fine. But once you begin to actively live out your faith and gather with other believers and tell people about Jesus, then you get persecuted. And so what happens uh, in these places is that they learn, and I've literally had believers tell me this in these contexts. They've said, when everything was stripped away and all I had left was Jesus, I realized that Jesus is enough. Hmm. And I think, man, that's convicting for me. <laughs> yeah. What are we missing if we don't have that type of relationship with Jesus? 
Well, I think that persecution is like a refiner's fire. I mean, I think it really forces us to examine what we value and, and what we don't value. Because in the United States, you've got to admit that you know, thus far in our experience here, it's been pretty cool to be a Christian most of the time. You know, I mean, if you go to church and it's, it's like a great place for business relationships, it's comfortable, it's air conditioned, everybody is friendly, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's kind of easy, but it's interesting. What persecution does is it literally purifies the church. I mean, this goes way back to Tertullian saying that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, because I think that's when our faith is tested and we see what we're really made of. I mean, if you think about it, it's easy for us to say, yeah, if someone asked me about my faith, I, I would absolutely claim I was a Christian. Well, if they had a gun pointed to your face and they, and you knew that they would kill you if you said that, would you say it then? Again, we don't know how we'd respond in those situations, but I'll tell you that when someone has responded, that they are a person of faith and, and God either delivers them or they die well, either way, God is glorified in some pretty amazing ways uh, through those who are watching. Uh, we've heard stories of people who are killing Christians who are literally coming to Christ because of the way that they die. I mean, the, the 21 martyrs on the Libyan beach, uh, the Egyptians that were killed last year, they, man, their story has changed many. We don't even know how many hundreds of lives have been impacted by their faithful witness unto death. And scripture talks about that, that if we're faithful to follow Christ, even to death, uh, he will be glorified through that. And it, amazing things can happen. Wow. So the thing that is kind of burning on my heart is I feel convicted. I, I want to be praying more for my brothers and sisters around the world. What are what are ways, specific ways that I can pray to, to support those who are going through hard, hard stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked because that is one of the main uh, things that we offer is really helping people understand how to pray. One of the things that we're praying, and I actually have um, a friend right now who's in prison. I mean, I'm talking a close friend who's in prison for doing something in a country that that I personally have done in a country like that um, because of the fact that they're faithfully living out their witness, even though they know that it was a risky proposition. And what I've been praying for, for him specifically recently is that he will know God's presence in a special way. And our founder, Richard Warmbrand, was in prison for 14 years in Romania. And it was really interesting because he talks about how those times of solitary confinement, where it was just him and Jesus, were some of the most intimate times of spiritual experience that he ever had. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't regain that later, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? They were just such special times. And so we pray that they're not alone. You know, when Joseph was put in prison in Genesis 38, it, it literally says that here Joseph was unjustly put in prison. It says that the Lord was with him and that he showed him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And I just think about that prayer, and I've been thinking about that for my friend, but that's one of the things we pray is that they'll, they'll sense God's presence, that they'll feel connected to the, the body of Christ, you know, that they'll feel comforted, uh, that they honestly, even in prison, even in suffering, that they'll have opportunities to share their faith, uh, that they'll have boldness, and that they'll be willing to, to be able to serve really as a minister. And look what Paul said. Paul said the same thing. The apostle Paul said he was a prisoner uh, in chains. He was a witness for the Lord in chains. Uh, so anyway, those are some of the things that we pray for. But we have a really cool thing uh, for like iOS or Android devices. We have a daily prayer app. And every day uh, you can set it to send you a notification or not. But I, I use it every day as a reminder to pray. And it will offer up a specific prayer request for a country 
and a very specific way to pray for that country and for believers in that country. It's kind of a cool little uh, tool just to remind us to remember, hey, we're part of a bigger body of Christ here. Wow. Yeah, we'll put a link to where people could go to download that prayer app and, and other resources that you guys have as well. Um, well, Jason, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, inspiring stories. I, I want everybody to go out and get a copy of IMN. Um, and I think it'll just transform your faith. It, it allows you to kind of see what God is doing around the world and, uh, and a way to support those who, who need our support. And I, I love the way that you have kind of opened our eyes to uh, how we can support our brothers and sisters. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for helping get the word out. And, you know, it's going to be really neat in heaven one day to be sitting around and, and to be able to meet people who have been martyred and to be able to say, you know, your story inspired me to pray more effectively and to, to stand more faithfully for Christ. So I look forward to that day. That's awesome. What a thought. Thanks so much for being with us. God bless, and thank you, Andrew. Thanks again to Dr. Jason Peters for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it helps us if you take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes, and also consider sending this episode to somebody that you know that might benefit from listening to it. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode and every episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve the show or guests that you'd love to hear us talk to, you can email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.